You can grab a seat. If you've got a Bible and you want to open it up, we're going to do something a little different this morning. Um, We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. The reason for that is over the last couple of years, we've taken the the final Sunday um, of the calendar year, and we've addressed like more of a topic, Um, just kind of for one week, something that feels pastorally important, whether in our church or kind of in the larger church. And so in 2018, we talked about mental health. In 2019, the last Sunday, we talked about rest and Sabbath. Both of those came out of like my own kind of current life struggles, wrestlings, um, kind of my personal place in life, but also from an observation of something that seemed like was more of a universal reality within the church. This morning, I want to approach a different topic, and it comes with a slightly different feel or a different thrust to it. Um, and so as we close out 2020, I want to gently and humbly and, and like fearfully and I hope graciously approach the topic of Christian leaders falling like moral failings, whether that happens in local churches and small local churches, or if it happens in more of a, like a celebrity Christian sort of sense, public falls from Christian leadership. Like what do we do with that as a church? How is it that we view those things? What is the right way for us to respond? Over the last few years, it seemed as though, it has seemed as though those have come at us in, at almost a dizzying rate. And you may not pay attention to what happens like in the kind of quote-unquote celebrity Christian world. You might not know um, that more kind of public-facing Christian leaders in the last couple of years have had high-profile falling um, from their positions. So names like Mark Driscoll or Bill Hybels or Ravi Zacharias or Perry Noble, Carl Lentz, those might not be familiar to you. And that's fine. Maybe you haven't heard of more platform-driven Christian celebrities or leaders like Jen Hatmaker or John Christ or Rachel Held Evans, and that's okay. I think this morning can still be helpful for us because you don't have to watch the fall of like a beloved celebrity pastor in order to feel the hurt, the betrayal, uh, the feelings that come along with like having your world rocked by someone that you looked up to, trusted, listened to, appreciated, and seeing them fall from their position and then having to wrestle with, now what do I do with everything that I heard from that person? And what do I, does this change like what I believe about who God is? These things can happen here in our own community. In fact, that has been the case on more than one occasion in Kansas City just in the last year. These sorts of things happen in small churches, in large churches. They take place among lead pastors, youth pastors, worship pastors, associate pastors. It could happen to someone who's like a small group leader to you or just a discipler or a mentor. There's something in this for all of us today. So the question is, what do we do when the Christian we looked up to is suddenly thrown down to the bottom of a pit that seemingly their own sin created? Before we jump into that, I kind of want to put like all my cards out there on the table right from the start this morning. Every Sunday that I stand up here, I preach a sermon that my own flesh wrestles with. Every Sunday that I stand up here, I preach a sermon that I will never be able to perfectly live up to. I won't ever be able to perfectly model. I won't ever be able to perfectly uphold. Every Sunday that I stand up here, I preach a sermon 
that provides fodder for everyone who's close to me and knows me well enough to know my own areas of brokenness and my own areas of sin. I know from more than one experience of personal interaction, the humbling reality, when something happens in my own life and somebody says, didn't you preach a sermon about? And I say, yes, I did. I remember it very well. I'm thinking about it right now. Every Sunday that I stand up here, I preach a sermon with applications that are oftentimes, first and foremost, pointed about myself. If I am talking in a sermon about relationships, oftentimes I recognize that I have, you know, friendships, work relationships, whatever the case might be, that at that moment are strained by the reality of sin, whether my own or someone else's, and we're trying to figure out how to navigate that. If I'm using an illustration about marriage, oftentimes as I'm giving the illustration, I'm thinking in my own head about the challenges and difficulties that exist in my own. If we talk about repentance, usually in the like, week leading up to that sermon, I'm continually confronted with the reality that I have my own struggles and my own challenges with the humility and the humbling required to repent at times. If we talk about like over the last few weeks in Luke, like we just talk about savoring Jesus. The reality is that I have places where my own heart clings to something else. And so this morning, in a similar fashion, I realize that I'm walking up to the edge of, the to- of a topic that could be about me one day. I recognize that to think otherwise would be both the height of arrogance and probably the first step toward the sermon I'm preaching today being about me one day. Let me explain a little bit by way of illustration. Um, A number of years ago, I went through this course that um, was focused on discipleship, and there was a morning where, like, the men in the course and the women in the course were split out, and there was um, a man who talked to the men just about discipleship and, and leadership within your own family. And he talked about the fact that he had put together at one time this briefcase And in this briefcase that he ended up giving to one of his best friends was basically everything that would be necessary for his wife and his family in the event that he died. Like all the passwords to things, all the sort of information about life insurance and some decisions about a funeral so that they wouldn't have to make all those. And he gave it to one of his best friends and he said, hey, in the event that I die, would you give this to my wife? And that way she can start to work through this process. This morning, what I want to do is show you what's in the briefcase that you should open up in the event that I fall from this position or in the event that someone that you look up to in the Christian world falls from their position. And as we do this, I want to say right at at the outset here, December 27th, 2020, I have nothing to confess to you this morning. So it's not like I'm going to do this long 40-minute deal and then I'm going to hit you with some confession and walk out to the parking lot and be done. That's not the case at all. But this is something that is happening so frequently within Christianity. And I don't think it's a new thing by any means. I think it's that the access that we have via social media and the internet and whatnot, to see into things that are happening in other places is so heightened and so much greater than it used to be, say, 30 years ago, that when these things happen, we're more aware of them than we would have been before. 
And so maybe most importantly, I want to give you that briefcase, if you will, this morning, so that we're all thinking rightly before one of those moments happens, whether it be tied to me or someone on our staff, a leader in this church, a person you love, or more of a quote-unquote celebrity Christian. My hope is that by opening up the briefcase now, maybe we can do some preventative care rather than emergency care later on down the road. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And there are some kind of universal truths that we're going to start with, but then mostly what I want to talk about this morning are a series of priorities. A series of priorities for us as followers of Jesus as we try to hold correctly the influential figures in our life and in our faith. The main point this morning is this, and the constant drumbeat this morning is going to be this, that the humanity of Christian leaders should always serve as a reminder of the glory of Jesus. Bear this in mind as we get going here. My job is that of a pastor, which means that my primary objective is to care for the the people of this church. More on that in a second. So that means my aim this morning is not to make assumptions about what has happened in other places or with other people. My aim is not to cast judgment on something that's happened in another place to another person, to another congregation. My hope is to lovingly point this congregation toward thinking correctly about how to navigate these instances when they arise in the future, because they will. So if you will, look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. It says this, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. Be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, I I pray this morning that you would... uh, God, that you would speak clearly through your word. God, I pray this morning that you would... Teach us all a little bit about how it is that we respect, revere, appreciate, look to influential Christian leaders in our own lives without allowing those individuals to supplant Jesus' role as Savior. God, I pray that you would help us to understand how it is to hold the, hum- the humanity of Christian leaders in the right place. God, I pray that you would teach us a little bit about how to navigate situations where those individuals fall. God, I pray that you would teach us something of 
your glory in the way that it is that even in those situations, your grace and your mercy and your love can be magnified. You can continue to build your church. God, I pray for churches in our area, churches around our country and around the world. God, we pray that you would strengthen those who lead those churches. God, that you would help them to resist temptation and to flee from sin. That you would empower them to resist temptation and to lead faithfully and enduringly for as long as you've called them to their positions of leadership. God, we pray that the witness of your church would be one that's pure and faithful, but we also recognize that humans are sinful. And so when sin breaks into those places, God, we pray that you would show yourself to be glorious, that it would heighten our appreciation for the perfection of Jesus when we see the imperfection of a leader. God, we pray that despite the failings of Christian leaders all around the world, God, that you would continue to build your church. And we hold on to the promise that Jesus made, that you will do just that. Not even the gates of hell will be able to stand against it. God, we offer these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to take what's obvious in the passage first. What's obvious in the passage is that Peter is writing to a a group of churches, and not just the leaders in the churches. He's writing to the whole churches. What would typically happen is one of these letters would arrive, and a person would bring it in, probably a leader within that church, and they would read it in the hearing of the entire congregation. And so for four chapters of 1 Peter, Peter talks to the whole of those congregations. And then at the beginning of chapter 5, he turns and he addresses the leaders of those churches, the elders, the Greek word there is presbyter, the pastors, what we would say, of those churches. And in the full hearing of everyone else, he says, here is how you are to lead your congregations. Everyone in the church can hear it as Peter looks at those leaders and says, you need to shepherd the flock that's among you, not out of compulsion, but willingly, not out of greed, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That is the way that a pastor is supposed to lead from freedom, not from fear, not out of compulsion, feeling like they have to do this or fill in the blank is going to happen, but instead from a sense of freedom that God has called them to this position, forgiven them and made them righteous in the sight of Christ thanks to Jesus' work on the cross and that they can lead joyfully out of that. They're supposed to lead not from a place of greed, but from a place instead of generosity, not hoping for money and we could substitute any number of things in the place of the word money there. Oftentimes, the falls that we see happen among prominent Christian leaders, whether they be on a national scale or even just a Christian leader within one local congregation, is that oftentimes it's not necessarily money that stood in the way that they were greedy for, but they were greedy for their own lusts in a sexual way. But instead, they're to serve eagerly, generously, 
giving to their congregations, not taking from their congregations. And then the third one is not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So not in like a heavy-handed sort of way. They're supposed to lead from a place of humility. Those are kind of the details right on the surface of the passage. And I would consider you to, to think about these things in the person or the people that are leading you at any church in any season of your life or the person or the people that you're listening to via podcast or on the internet, the person or the people that you're reading in the books that you purchase. And that's me included. Like when I go to listen to a sermon or I gather resources in order to put together my own sermons on Sunday mornings, like who are those individuals and what, what can I glean about their life and their leadership and what it looks like? Note that you won't find anybody who's perfect in those, but at the very least, you should find people who, by the power of the Holy Spirit within them, are walking in that direction, are growing in their faithfulness. Those are the details. What I want to do is talk about some of the larger implications that we can pull from the rest of the passage as we just kind of think about it in its totality. And so on the top of the stack of papers in the briefcase that I would have you open would be three sort of general universal reminders. The first one is this, pastors are human and humans are broken. Someone close to you, a leader that you've looked up to, falls from their position and all of the details of their sin and brokenness are laid out in front of you. The first thing I would have you read in that briefcase is that pastors are human and humans are broken. That's true for everyone. It's true for pastors. It's true for me. Look, one day, I'm either going to die, or I'm going to move on from this position, or whatever the case might be. And though typically after someone's death, we talk about them in like glowing terms, you'll bump into someone and it could happen while I'm still alive who has seen the less than like clean and holy side of me. And they will say to you something where you think to yourself, oh, I never would have thought that. Okay, well go ahead and think it because I'm a human and I'm broken. And so if that's true, then it's also true that sin is sin even for leaders. That would be my second truth. When you boil it right down to the core, discovering that a Christian leader has issues of sin shouldn't really be all that shocking to us. Like when we talk about sin, we understand sin and we get that sin exists and then we find out about the sin of a pastor and we act as though they should have been immune somehow. Should we be grieved when we find those things out? Absolutely. Should we be saddened by the destroying effects of sin? in that pastor's life and now in their family and the ripple effects of that into their congregation and the people that listen to them or follow them? Yes, absolutely. But a pastor isn't shocked when you walk into their office and you explain the way that sin has detonated a bomb within your life because a pastor understands that Christians are human and humans are broken and sin is sin even for a Christian. And so we shouldn't be totally surprised when we come to discover that a pastor has sin. Like, it sounds very elementary, and yet we act as though maybe that's not the case. Now, am I saying that that sin 
and the reality of that sin and the fact that we all know that there's sin means that we should gloss over it in the life of a pastor. Absolutely not, because there's a tension that exists within the Bible that a pastor is held to a high standard. And so is there sin that should absolutely disqualify a pastor from the position that they have been in? Yes. Is there sin that makes it so that a Christian leader of any sort, whether it's on a platform or they're a teacher and a speaker or they're a pastor in a local congregation, is there sin that should cause that individual to be removed from their position? Yes, absolutely. Scripture makes that totally clear. But should we be shocked to find out that the pastor as a person was sinful? No, we shouldn't be. The the passage here tells us, verse 8, be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. And so why devour one sheep when you could devour the shepherd and potentially scatter an entire flock? I mean, think about the way you would do that. If you could give less effort for greater impact, isn't that the thing that you would do? And the answer is, it certainly is. And so not only do pastors face the normal struggles, failings, and temptations that are associated with the weakness of human flesh, but they also fall under just great spiritual attack. And when one falls, our knee-jerk reaction is to think, well, I just can't believe fill in the blank. And the answer to that lovingly as your pastor should be sure you can. You've got flesh. You understand the depth of the darkness and the brokenness that exists inside you. And pastors are human and humans are broken and sin is sin, even for Christian leaders. So if we understand the humanity of our pastors then we would have to hold out not just the possibility, but the reality that they are, in fact, at all times, wrestling with their own sin. The third universal reminder that I would give you, which is better news than the first two, is that grace is grace, even for Christian leaders. And so what should our first response be when these things happen? Our first response should be one of grace and prayer. Look at verse 10. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you even after you have suffered a little while. So the passage goes from talking to to pastors specifically in the earshot of their entire congregations and then it broadens itself out and talks to the whole congregation and then ends with this reminder that the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will be the one who at the end of all things restores, establishes, strengthens, and supports even after we have suffered. And to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. If we really believe that grace is grace and grace is as powerful as is as powerful as we talk about, then we should be moved to prayer when we hear about these instances. Prayer for that pastor or that leader specifically, prayer for the congregation or the larger body of Christ that valued and upheld and esteemed that individual, prayer for the larger witness of the church. And we should believe that despite whatever circumstances now exist, that God is capable of displaying himself overwhelmingly glorious and beautiful and faithful and good even in these situations. And I can admit 
in my own heart, there are moments where these things happen and I look at the situation or I think about the pastor or I hear the kind of surface details of what happened and I can be really quick to snap to judgment. And what that does, oftentimes, the more I think about it, is that my judgment on that person is not based out of the reality that that Christian leader is a human and humans are broken and they have sin just like everyone else and that there's grace for them just like everyone else. Where that comes from is that I feel like that individual has somehow like let the team down. And my judgmental heart betrays the fact that maybe at my core, at least in some places, I actually think that it is the work of a given leader or a given pastor. It's the talents of a given leader or a given pastor that's somehow affecting change or pushing the gospel forward. When the reality is that it is only God who affects change within the hearts of individuals and it's only God who pushes the gospel forward and advances his kingdom. And he chooses to use broken individuals to do that. Now, that's not to say that the fall of a Christian leader doesn't have ramifications and impacts in the lives of those who looked up to them, sometimes damaging, devastating impacts. So again, like this all builds on itself, which means that just because sin is sin, even for Christian leaders, we don't gloss over it and we don't excuse it. But it does mean that I can trust a gracious God to be gracious, not just with that individual, but also with his church, even when these things happen. He will advance his church. He will push forward his kingdom. And though we grieve these things that we have just discovered, we shouldn't be totally shocked that a Christian leader of some sort wrestles with their own sin. We shouldn't be totally shocked that sometimes they would fail in that wrestling. We shouldn't be totally shocked that sometimes they would need to be removed from their position. And we should not be shocked to think that there's grace for that individual. The next item in the briefcase would be a list of priority reminders. I think if we can keep all of these priorities straight, we put some guardrails up for ourselves in these situations. And so the first one is this. The first priority reminder is that the chief shepherd is greater than all other shepherds. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you. Then jump down to verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I hope that you hear and see this in the way that we preach and program and position ministry here at LCF. And what I hope that you see is that Jesus is the point. Not me, not anyone else on this staff. I hope what you see and hear from us on a regular basis is that what happens here at Liberty Christian Fellowship is not about a flesh and blood human being who is walking in and among us right now. It is about Jesus, and it's always going to be about Jesus forever and always. If I get in my car after church today, and I get T-boned on the way home, I'll go to glory There will be a funeral. I think there'll be some grief and mourning. And all the while, this church will plug along and keep pointing people to Jesus. How do I know that? Because I know the staff and the leadership of this church. 
I know the congregation of this church. And so I would like to think that it's not just if I happen to die early that those things would happen, but I would like to think also that if I were to fall in some way, the same thing would happen. Now, if you think through that scenario in your head and you think to yourself, gee, I might go somewhere else because I'm mostly here for Tim's preaching. I would want to lovingly say back to you, I'm not that good. And what happens here has not ever been about the person who stands up here and preaches, and it will never be about the person who stands up here and preaches. It has been, and it will always be, about Jesus. Because the chief shepherd is greater than all others. I get that a pastor's preaching might be what brings a person through the door, but it ought to be that Jesus and the magnification of him is what keeps us in that place. And then second to that would be the body of believers that you commit to in that place. When we make a person the primary focal point, whether in a local church or in more of like a national sort of sense, we make a grave mistake. And the reason is because the human soul is not capable of bearing the weight of celebrity. That's not just true within Christian celebrity. That's true in all forms. God alone can withstand the weight of the world's attention. And the reason he can do that is because he is infinitely, perfectly pure. When a human being gains power, prestige, popularity, whatever, what it does is it ends up exposing the rot of sin that lives within them. It doesn't create that sin. It ends up exposing that sin. And the reason why it is that God can withstand the weight of the world's attention is because there is no rot inside of him. The closer you look, the longer you look, the deeper you look, you're only going to find infinite perfection. That is why God is capable of bearing the weight of celebrity, the only one capable of bearing the weight of celebrity, and every other human being at some point is going to crumble. When we see prominent Christians have fiery crashes, we have to remind ourselves that Jesus has not gone up in flames. If nothing else, there's now an opportunity for him to look even bigger. It's because the chief shepherd is infinitely superior to every local shepherd in every single way you can think of. He cares for you more deeply. His love is more tender. His teaching is far more impactful. His character is infinitely more pure. His presence is more dear. His grace runs deeper. His patience lasts longer. But we have shepherds. And so, like, there's this tension that exists because God equips people within the church to both lead local congregations, but also to use gifts like teaching or knowledge or whatever the case might be, uh, worship and music, so that the church at large can be served. So naturally, we end up with these people who kind of rise to places of prominence. And so what do we do? Like, maybe you would read that particular priority and you'd say, I get it. I'm not making any one of these celebrity Christians into my Jesus. But what am I supposed to do when they're in that position? Well, that would lead me to the next thought. And that's that God's word is greater than human thoughts. 
if we've got shepherds who are shepherding the flock among them, but one day the chief shepherd is going to appear and he's going to prove himself to be superior to all of those local shepherds, then we would also have to hold out the reality that God's word and his truth would be greater than any of the human thoughts that one of those lesser shepherds would have. And if we elevate a person into a spot that they're not supposed to occupy, then we face the danger of lifting their opinions into a place that they should not occupy. A pastor has a narrow lane. A narrow lane. That lane is thin, but it's far-reaching. And that narrow lane is that they are supposed to shepherd God's people through the exposition and the application of Scripture. Like, that is what a pastor is for. Now that's far-reaching because scripture has something to say about all of life. But at times, because we've made pastors into a bit of the object of our worship, or we've made their gifts into the object of our attention, we turn their thoughts into gospel truth, and we start asking their opinions on all sorts of matters. Speaking to you as a pastor, there are times that I feel like, particularly in the last year, that I'm supposed to be a public policy expert, a sociology expert, a political science expert, a psychology expert, a counseling expert. I was supposed to be an epidemiologist and a public health official. And now you wouldn't expect your mechanic to perform a biopsy on you. You'd go to someone else for that. But we do this with pastors. And part of it is because we've elevated their thoughts into a place that they're not supposed to occupy. We've elevated them into positions that they're not supposed to occupy. And so we think we just keep going back to the same well and they'll have all the answers to all the topics that are way outside of their lane. And if I and we as a staff are doing our jobs well, we're continually teaching our people to look to Scripture, to look to the gospel and God's word for themselves. We're pointing them to faithful and trustworthy Christian resources that deal with all of those areas from people who are actually equipped to have answers on that. And we're all learning how to discern truth from those versus error. Let me just give a quick example from the last year. Look, the last year was fairly exhausting for pastors. You take the pandemic that happened and then the election cycle that happened and you smash all of those on top of each other. And I fielded emails that wanted me to give my answers to things like immigration, climate matters, racial justice, prison and criminal justice reform, universal health care, abortion laws, the electoral college. I can tell you what the Bible says about how it is that we care for the immigrant or the sick or our neighbors. I can tell you what God's marvelous work of creation is and our responsibility to steward it. We could open up scripture to see what God has to say about human life and all of its beautiful forms and stages from the womb of a mother to the tomb in the earth. We could look at God's love for all nations, races, and peoples of the earth and what that means for how the church should interact and how the people of God should work with one another, care for one another, love one another. Do I know how all the legislation should play out for those things? No. Do I know how someone in our particular system ought to handle the oftentimes converging priorities of those things within our prominent two-party political system and exactly what you should do? Do you want me to be the voice that informs all of those for you? 
when you've got this voice available? Like, I'm not anywhere near arrogant enough to believe that you would want my thoughts when I could point you back to this. That you would want me to be the chief thing when I could point you back to Jesus. And so what we often do is that we look to our preferred Christian celebrity and we demand their opinion on these sorts of things. And if they give the one we want, we hold it up and we say, this person's always right. And if they give the one we don't want, we say, this person's an idiot. Maybe the issue is that we've idolized a person above the chief shepherd. And having done that, we're now lifting their opinions above scripture. And when they fall, part of the challenge and the reckoning is that now we're forced to deal with, well, what about everything that they said? Is it, is it true? Was it false? Was it all sham? Was it a lie? Let me tell you who's never gonna fall the chief shepherd. And so if you're leaning into his word predominantly, you're never going to have to reconcile with those kinds of questions. Because the chief shepherd is never going up in fiery flames. He's never being thrown down into a pit of, of the, a pit created by his own sin. And his word is always going to stand the test of time and truthfulness. There's only one infallible voice, and that voice is God's. And there's only one infallible shepherd, and that shepherd is Jesus. And so this would be my third priority. How do you put some guardrails in there? Well, I would encourage you to prioritize the local church over disconnected voices. The encouragement is right there in verse 2. Shepherd God's flock among you. Now, the church is a global entity that's lived out in local settings as an embodied human-to-human experience. And to borrow from John Piper here, Christians are a shepherded people. This means that there's the chief shepherd, and that's who we all worship and look to, but we all also have local pastors. And it means that as a pastor, I'm responsible to the flock that God has given me, not to someone else's. And so I can't stress this point enough. Keep those priorities in line. Is there anything wrong with listening to voices and sermons or teachings from people who aren't your pastor? Absolutely not. Is there anything wrong with eating a piece of pie? Eating a piece of cake? Absolutely not. But you can't make that your normal diet or else you'll be deficient in some things. I would say the same thing about what we interact with as Christians. Technology is a wonderful thing that has enabled us to hear from wise, talented, gifted teachers, preachers, and pastors. Teachers, preachers, and pastors who are far better from me than me, that I glean from in so many ways, but they can't be our steady diet. The one who is supposed to be your steady diet is the pastor that knows you, the pastor that can look you in the eye, the pastor that you can look in the eye. The pastor that's going to be present when you're baptized or married. The pastor that's going to conduct your funeral one day. The pastor that's going to be present when sin erupts in your own life and you go to someone and you need counsel or you need help. The pastor that's going to walk alongside you when tragedy comes into your life. That is the one who is supposed to be the voice that speaks to you most clearly. Why? Because you and that person share something. You and that person 
that team of people here at LCF, you walk alongside one another closely enough that they see your brokenness and given some time, you'll have opportunities to see or hear about theirs, mine. And so it means that when something were to happen in your life or in my life, there's a relationship there. We sort of insulate ourselves a bit from the shock of a celebrity pastor or a Christian leader's fall when they were never our primary place of care. It was never that person I staked my faith on because the chief shepherd is greater than all other shepherds. It was never that person's opinion that I staked my understanding of scripture on because God's word was greater than their opinion anyway. And it was never that person's life that I had mine intertwined with in such a way that when they fell, it wrecked my faith. Now, what happens when your local shepherd, you were doing everything right, and it's your local shepherd that falls? What happens if this is me one day? Here's one of the things I know and I love about this church so much. This church and its leadership will not hide those things. This church and its leadership will not bury them, will not try to work around them, will not try to cover them up. Oftentimes what happens in these instances where a celebrity leader falls is that not only is there the pain of the sin being revealed, and maybe we could handle that, but then there's also all the layers of sin where they tried to lie about it or cover it up or hide it or push it to the side. And one of the things I love about this church is that the people that lead this thing won't stand for that. And so in the event that it is me, the local shepherd who falls, I can tell you what I think will happen here. The leadership of this church, with a firm understanding of sin and its consequences and a firm understanding of God's grace, will walk with me as is necessary while also pulling someone in here or rallying around the team that's already here to continue to point this congregation to Jesus. I can tell you that with 100% certainty. I pray it never gets to that. I pray that the Lord, you know, saves us all from that kind of pain. But oftentimes with these like disconnected voices, particularly those who came to their position in like a platform, like they're mostly social media driven, right? Their livelihood is staked upon you continuing to listen, them continuing to produce, so they can point you to Jesus, and they're a wonderful platform-based teacher, so like, don't hear this as like some sort of mass criticism or something. But while they point you to Jesus, they also need to point you a little bit to themselves because they need you to keep listening. They need you to keep purchasing. They need you to continue to interact and share in those kinds of things. It has to be that way. I can trust in this setting that if something were to happen, our leadership team would act swiftly, they would act appropriately, they would act graciously, not only to just like deal with and restore and come to a place of reconciliation for me, but also to protect, care for, and move forward with this congregation. And it will be more about Jesus in those instances than about me.
Last, my last encouragement would be prioritize active participation over idle observation. That's what Peter is encouraging here. That's what the New Testament sets up in terms of the dynamic that exists between a pastor and a church. It's symbiotic. It works together. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Part of the Christian celebrity phenomenon is on us. We turn people into celebrities when we act in relation to them as if they're different than us. We create celebrities by adopting postures of observation, right? Patrick Mahomes, why is he such a celebrity? Because we're all going to tune in to watch later and just be amazed at what he does. And then we're going to turn it off and walk away. And we oftentimes do that with Christian leaders, particularly celebrity Christian leaders. We turn on the podcast, we listen to it, and then we walk away. And oftentimes we create church cultures where that's what happens. We're like the pastor who gets up and talks, like it would be odd for you to interact with that person in the lobby. Or it would be weird for them to just be walking around in the congregation one day. We create kind of cultures and postures where like that person, we observe them do their thing. We hear from them. We listen to them. We see their gifts. And then they disappear. That's not how this is supposed to work. This is supposed to be participation. There's supposed to be a relationship that exists back and forth. The truth of the gospel ought to cut through that celebrity mentality in the most sobering of ways. To just stack all of this on top of itself. That pastor, that leader is a human who's daily battling their own sin. That human occupies a different role in life than you do, but at their core, they're like you in every way. That's a human who needs the same thing from a savior that you do. And so part of the way we participate in fostering a right understanding of that is by keeping the priorities straight, that it's Jesus over the pastor, it's scripture over their opinion, it's a local church over some voice that I just kind of listened to, it's participation over observation. And so it's the responsibility that we all share to create churches that have atmospheres of transparency and confession and repentance, and pastors should lead the way in that. If I truly believe the gospel that I preach, then in, a, in appropriate places and ways and groups, I can be confident that, that there's nothing that I could share of my own sin and brokenness that God hasn't already seen, already known, and already provided grace for. If I truly believe the gospel, I don't need to hide. Now, that doesn't mean that I would walk up here and like vomit every Sunday all of my sin issues out to our entire congregation, but it means that there's some place that I'm doing that. I pray that you see and hear and sense that from me on a week-in and week-out basis from this place. I pray that our staff senses that when we're together on a more daily basis, that our leadership team does when we're together on a regular basis. As a church, we can be active in doing the same. That this entire environment would be a place where we understand the truth of the gospel and the truth of sin and the truth of grace. And so we can be open and honest about brokenness and about our own areas of sin and struggle. And then could there be a day when I have to step forward and confess something so grievous that it means I need to step away from this position? Of course there could be. I have like appropriate fear and trembling of that as any pastor should. 
The other benefit of active participation is that you get yourself so neck deep in the daily rhythm of your own church and your own community, then there won't be time to just sit and stare at what a celebrity Christian is doing. And that might be the best for all of us. Is that we're so engaged in the life of our own church and in the work of the gospel in and among our own church, in and among the people in this community, in our larger community out here around us, and there's just less time to be concerned about what's happening at the national level or the global level. What's the landing point of all of this? I've gone long. That the humanity of Christian leaders should always serve as a reminder of the glory of Jesus. So long as humans are humans, they are going to sin. This will not be the end of Christian leaders in all forms, various sized churches and various sized platforms and audiences failing and falling. This isn't the beginning of it either. And while we can be grieved, it should move us to prayer. But we must remind ourselves that Jesus has not and will not ever fall, that God has not and will not ever be shaken, that he has not abandoned his promise to build his church and that his grace always provides an opportunity for him to shine. Well, we look at what happens in the lives and ministries of prominent pastors or Christian leaders or even just the Christian leaders in our own lives. If we hold their humanity in the right place, it allows us to hold their ministry in the right place. If we hold their ministry in the right place, even when they fall, we'll understand that the gospel that they preached is the gospel that they still need. And the God that they proclaimed as sovereign and good and moving everything forward is still the same God. And so we can be grieved without thinking that God's work has somehow been totally derailed. We can be saddened without thinking that the kingdom has somehow crumbled on its foundation. We can also be on our knees expectant in prayer that that God will do something in that situation that does not diminish but instead magnifies his glory and his goodness and the truth of the gospel to the watching world. Amen? Amen. I apologize for going a little long. Let me pray and then we'll go. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, for the opportunity for us to come together as a church family and just to think about this topic a little bit. God, I wanna pray for our own church. God, would we be a place that at its very core just functions securely on the truth of the gospel? Functions securely on the truth that for all of us, no matter what our role is or what our place or position is in this church, whether we've been here for 20 years or we've been coming for the last five weeks, God, would we be a place that understands the truth of sin, the reality of grace, the glory of Jesus and his greatness over and above any particular individual in this church, no matter what their role is. God, would we be a church that lifts up the word of God above all others? Would we be a church that leans in to this community? Would we be a church that participates in the work of the gospel in this place? God, would you continue to bless us with voices that provide insight into scripture? Would you continue to bless us with individuals and leaders who have gifts that serve the church, not just here, but in a global way so wonderfully, God, but would you help us to keep them in the right spot? Would you help us to think about them correctly and position them rightly in relationship to Jesus, God? Would you protect them from sin and an enemy that's prowling around looking for anyone he can devour? But God, would you never cause us to lose heart? Despite 
seeing people fall, Lord, would we be reminded that the chief shepherd never will. God, in a way that's maybe selfish, Lord, I pray that you would protect me and this staff, Lord, in such a manner that we're able to have faithful lives of ministry that endure to the very, very end. And when the chief shepherd does come back, God, would we receive an unfading crown of glory. God, but in the event that that we do stumble and we do fall, would you give us the humility necessary to confess and repent? Would we as a church be prepared to think correctly in those situations, to continue to magnify Jesus and to continue to walk faithfully and pray and hold out the reality of your grace? God, we thank you for the prominent leaders you've placed in our lives and the ways that you've used them to shape and to mold us, God, but I pray that we would never lose sight of the fact that ultimately it was you that was shaping and molding us and not that individual. I pray we'd never lose sight of the fact that it's your word that speaks definitively, never the individual. God, thank you for this local church, for its leadership, steady and faithful since the day it was planted. God, would that be what continues on into the future, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I wanna give you just one quick announcement as you leave, and that's that this Sunday is Joe Stewart, our mission pastor's last Sunday on staff. He's gonna be around for the next year, but he's transitioning to his new role and beginning to kind of really lay a lot of the groundwork for when he and his family go overseas about a year from now. And so uh, he's not here this, this morning, but if you see him, um, you've got a chance to maybe send an email, make a phone call, send a text or something. Just encourage him and thank him for his years of, of service here. Our missions program um, was really in its infancy when Drew Matthews left with our Western Asia team. And Joe, what Joe has done to bring us like stability and some consistency in that has been unbelievable. And the amount of hard work that he's put in has really been amazing. And so if you have the opportunity to just give him a quick thank you or a quick word of encouragement, I know that he would really love that. In the coming days, we'll let you know what that position's gonna look like as we go forward in the future. Um, but we'll kind of leave it there for now. If you've got a chance to encourage Joe, please jump on that and take that opportunity. We love him, we're gonna miss him, but we look forward to what God will continue to do here with what comes next for us. So that's all. Have a great week. Have a happy new year. We'll see you again soon.